I think we can all agree that creating a culture of integrity in our workplaces is important. We want to be able to trust the people we work for and work with. We want to know that the company that we are representing as an employee or as an owner is one that people can trust, that the brand has a certain amount of ethics behind it. And that doesn't just have to mean anything revolving manufacturing or anything like that, but just the fact that a company as a whole is ethical and has integrity. And my guest today is creating and leading a revolution of ethical companies that have integrity. Welcome to Business with Purpose. I'm your host, Molly Stillman of Still Being Molly. And this show is all about bringing you the stories behind the brands, companies, and small businesses that are changing the world. Each week, I interview an entrepreneur, a CEO, a nonprofit director, community leader, or just an incredible person who's trying to make a positive impact, not only through their personal life, but also with their career. My goal is to show you that no matter what you do for a living, you can make an impact wherever you are. My guest this week is Rob Chestnut. He is the former chief ethics officer for Airbnb and also the author of the new book, Intentional Integrity, How Smart Companies Can Lead an Ethical Revolution. Rob is a graduate of Harvard Law School and the University of Virginia. He worked for 14 years with the U.S. Justice Department, where he prosecuted bank robberies, kidnappings, murder, and espionage cases, including the prosecution of CIA employee Aldrich. Ames. He joined eBay in 1999 as its third lawyer, where he led eBay's North America legal team and later founded its trust and safety team. Rob subsequently spent six years as the general counsel and first attorney at digital education leader Chegg, where he helped take the company public in 2013. He joined Airbnb as general counsel in 2016, where he grew the legal team from 30 to over 150 legal professionals in 20 offices around the world. His team led initiatives to promote home sharing and address regulatory issues with local governments and landlords around the world. As chief ethics officer, Rob developed a popular interactive employee program, Integrity Belongs Here, to help drive ethics throughout the culture at the company. He lives in San Francisco and his website is intentionalintegrity.com. I will tell you, this was an absolutely fascinating conversation. Rob is just one of those people where he has so much experience, so much knowledge, and he's just the kind of person that I would love to sit down over dinner and just ask about 7 million questions. So I asked him about half of those here on the show today. Okay, not actually half of 7 million, but you get my drift. You are going to absolutely love this conversation. But before I get to my conversation with Rob, I have to thank a couple partners of the show because they help to make it possible. Now, are you one of my loyal listeners of this podcast? Have you ever wanted to sport some business with purpose swag? Well, guess what? You can now get my exclusive do something good with purpose on purpose tea through GoX. The design is incredible, but here's the thing. GoX believes in the power of purchase. They use a simple t-shirt to connect their customers with their apparel makers. GoX customers sustain fair wage jobs that liberate workers from poverty and empower them in their families and communities. They are proud to be a verified member of the Fair Trade Federation. You can shop your exclusive business with purpose, sustainable, eco-friendly tea and more with purpose today at goxapparel.com slash Molly Stillman. And you can use the code podcast 20 for 20% off. 
This episode is also in partnership with The Lemonade Boutique, a women's clothing with a cause store featuring ethically made and fair trade items from over 10 countries. Every item is made by women facing extreme challenges such as trafficking, poverty, and more. Your purchase empowers women to take life's lemons and make lemonade. Shop at thelemonadeboutique.com and listeners of the podcast can save 15% by using code PURPOSE15 at checkout. Now onto my conversation with Rob. Rob, I am so excited to have you on the show. Welcome, sir. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being here. Um, You are someone who, when you read through your bio and you see just the the list of experience that you have I'm like this is the kind of person that like I want to sit down and ask seven million questions because <laughs> you have lived such an incredible and interesting life um, everything from going to Harvard Law to working for the US Justice Department and prosecuting like all kinds of things from bank robberies to kidnapping to the prosecution of the CIA employee Aldrich Ames I mean to then like working with eBay in their legal department and I mean just and then Airbnb most recently I mean so many things you've just lived such an interesting life so when people ask you like what it, what do you do how do you respond <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a good question I uh, I mean I guess today I'm an author of a tech general counsel would probably be one way to phrase it as well. I think I've been involved with rules my whole life when you think about it, right? As a federal prosecutor yeah, uh, and as a lawyer in tech companies and the like. So, but for, I like the idea of variety. I like the idea of changing things up. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, being tough to label is probably a good thing because I think it means you've got a lot of variety. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Well, I think that kind of leads us to our, our, our jumping off point. And that's what I have all my guests do. And that's give us the raw bone of one. So tell us who, who are you? What do you do? And how did you get to kind of where you are at this very moment today? Right. Well, I mean, I think as you mentioned, I started my career as a lawyer uh, and I was a federal prosecutor in Northern Virginia. But you know what? I, I think being a federal prosecutor can be, there's a real negative side to it. There's an excitement mm-hmm. and you know, you're in trial and you've got spies and bank robbers and the like. But you're also sort of presiding over a lot of negativity. And I think after a while, I felt like I wanted to do something positive in the world. And I really believe in business. I, I think the business has the power to transform uh, the world in a positive way, even more than government. You know, frankly, I think yes. government is... Yes. Uh, too often torn apart by a lot of partisan politics. Mm-hmm. So I really was uh, started looking around to, to find a company that I, I could believe in that was going to do good things in the world. And, you know, I got really lucky, Molly. I, I was, while I was a prosecutor, there was this little company in Northern Virginia back in those days. And I kept getting these calls from other prosecutors. They wanted to prosecute this company. They wanted to get records from this company. I'm like, who is this company? What do these people do? It's called America Online. <laughs> yes. Online thing, I knew right? it. I knew that's what you were going to say. You knew, right? Yeah, yep. they were in Reston, Virginia. Yeah. So um, I, I think, you know, well, what do these people do? I didn't know what the internet was, really. I got this disc, and you stuck with, it in your computer. With 50 free hours? Yeah. Yeah. It took for every little beeps, and you couldn't be on the phone at the same time. So I go on. And I was blown away. I was, oh my goodness, look at this. This is incredible. Mm-hmm. And it struck me that this internet stuff might actually like have staying power. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I started using a number of the internet sites just personally. And one of the sites I started using was eBay. And you know, one night it, it hit me that, look, uh, most companies don't need a federal prosecutor. 
right? I interviewed in a bunch of different places. They're all like, wow, you're a fabulous prosecutor, but we don't prosecute people here. Yeah. Uh, but at eBay, I, I sent them a note and said, look, you're going to have problems with illegal items. You're going to have fraud. You're going to deal with all sorts of regulations. And they called me the next day and wow. moved to the West Coast. And that sort of kicked off my career as a, a tech lawyer, but really more of an order person, rules and order. I was asked to start eBay's trust and safety department. I built it into a team of 2,000 people that's, you know, prevented fraud and kind of kept order on the site. And, you know, even uh, I moved on later in my career to Chegg uh, and then to Airbnb. And Airbnb, again, Airbnb is in the trust business. You know, you mm-hmm. need to set up some rules and some order so that people can connect with each other over, you know, the, the common interest. And I think that's been a theme throughout my career. You know, trying to promote good in people and promote human connections through providing a little bit of structure and order to enable the best behavior. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I love that. I love that perspective. And you just wrote a book. It came out in June. Yes. In June. July. Yes. July. 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 And uh, tell us just a little bit about kind of what the, you know, kind of the, the catalyst was for writing this book after all of the experience that you have. I never really thought I'd write a book. <laughs> I, it, it was the last thing in my, on my mind. But while I was the general counsel at Airbnb, it really struck me that the world was changing. Mm-hmm. Um, me Too was, was a, par- a big part of it. Uber was getting in a lot of trouble. They're just right down the street from us. But it struck me that, you know, everywhere I turned, every time I turned on the internet, uh, a different celebrity, a different leader was getting called out for uh, horrible behavior. Companies were getting called out for bad behavior. This stuff was really, at, at this level, it was new. And it struck me that, you know, we need companies to step up. People want companies to step up. They want leaders to step up. And I, I sat down with our founder, Brian Chesky, at Airbnb. And we talked about this a little bit. And he said, well, what do you do? How do you do this? And, and the question was, how do you drive integrity into the culture of a company? And I thought, and I'm like, Brian, I have no idea. Uh, but, but we should try. And Brian said, you know, go big. And he sent me off. And we, we started developing a program at Airbnb to encourage employees to treat each other with integrity mm. and also to work to ensure that Airbnb was a force for good in the world. And what really hit me out of it was how the employees embraced it. Mm. Uh, Where you work is such a reflection of who you are. The brands of the companies where you work become your brands. Like, you know what, like when we're talking, what do you talk about? You talk about the places I've worked. Mm -hmm. I think we all want to be proud of where we work. We, We want to feel as though that we're part of something that's doing good in the world. And blew me away that employees were wildly enthusiastic about encouraging a a culture of integrity. And they embraced it. We did some fun, creative things. And this was really a matter of my wife, who used to be in the publishing industry, looking at me one day and saying, you got to write a book about this. Yeah. I'm like, I don't want to write a book. And she said, (laughs) no, you really got to do this because nobody else is doing this sort of thing. It's important for the world. And I said, I still don't want to write a book. I'm too busy. You know, I'm a general counsel, right? And she said, I'll get you a co-writer. I'll get you a major publisher to do this, but you've got to do it. I'm like, okay, honey, you get me a co-writer. You get me a major publisher to do it. I'll write this book, right? And that was my first mistake because, you know, of course, she went out and got me a co-writer and got me a major publishing deal with Macmillan. So then we did it. And yeah. then the more time I, I, I gave the, the writer every Monday night, and we spent three hours together every Monday night for a year and a half. Wow. And, and did it. And it was when you uh, start to write a book, 
you think you know something, mm-hmm. right? You think, all right, I know all this stuff and I'm going to share my, my you know, vast knowledge with the world. <laughs> and then the more you go through the writing process, you realize, well, maybe I really don't know that much. I need to get some backup. Right? Yeah. I, need to get some, I need to look into this just a little bit further. I need to get some backup information. And what I really found was that writing a book is a learning journey. Yeah. And I ended up learning more during the writing process than I knew when I started. And the result was a book you know, that I'm, I'm really proud of. It's been really well received. And I, I think it's encouraging people to start thinking about adding an element of their game at work. Uh, and that is something that maybe wasn't talked about much. And that is operating with integrity. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I realized I don't think I said the title of it. So it's called Intentional Integrity. How smart companies can lead an ethical revolution. And you really have just drawn on so much, uh, you know, so many different uh, people. I mean, you've included perspectives from people like Carlos Santana and Attorney General Eric Holder, um, NBA Commissioner Adam Silver, Janet Hill, Ben Horowitz, Meg. I mean, you've got this very, very kind of wide ranging (laughs) group of people that help to kind of you know, bring in their perspectives and experiences. And, uh, and you're absolutely right. Like, kind of how, how you previously shared how the the last few years have really brought about um, a, a major shift in our culture in a lot of ways, many ways, very negative, and then also ways uh, there, there have been some positive changes. And with things like the Me Too movement, and um, just how social media affects things so much. And I mean, and then you have everything from, you know, Reddit threads, and you have, uh, you know, people posting things on Glassdoor or Yelp or I mean, just so many different things. I mean, even uh, I mean, I realize that this is going to be airing in late November, and we have no idea what's good. We're between the time we're recording this and what's when this airs, we have literally no idea what's what's going to happen. But I mean, I'm just thinking about even as we've seen in the presidential debates and not getting political, but you just see like reactions. I've seen um, last uh, today I was on Twitter and uh, a, a church like person who clearly works at the church didn't realize he was logged in to the church's Twitter account and was tweeting some things about the debate that probably should not be coming from a church Twitter account. Like there was some language and things like that. Obviously, those things have been deleted. But I mean, all of this kind of fits together about, okay, well, how do we as business owners, as business leaders, as managers, you know, CEOs, entrepreneurs, how do you lead a company with integrity? How can we have a revolution of ethically run businesses in so many ways? I think it starts by recognizing that the the entire purpose of a company is now changing. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when I grew up, and up until just a couple of years ago, uh, companies operated under this one mantra, shareholder value. Mm-hmm. Right? Anything was good, anything was okay, as long as it increased shareholder value. There's a guy by the name of Milton Friedman uh, who came up with this along with, there was an academic as well. And, you know, they, they said, look, if, if it increases shareholder value, you need to do it. Now, that worked for a, n- a number of decades, but there are a lot of features of it that didn't work. Yeah. So what it actually did was it, it increased short-term focus. So if it jumped the stock price this quarter, it was good. Mm-hmm. 
Never mind that it might dump carbon into the sky Mm -hmm. and hurt in the long run. Never mind that you may have reduced your cost of goods by signing up to get your goods from a, a, a place on the other side of the world, which may not treat its workers very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, never mind that your, your own workers might not be working under the best conditions or may not have health insurance, because uh, all that matters is that short-term shareholder number. Mm-hmm. And I think the world started to realize that that shareholder value mantra was causing a lot of ethical corners to be cut. And it wasn't working. We needed we need companies to think, not that investors aren't important. Of course, they're important. But why should they be the only thing that matters? And so what we've seen just in the last couple of years, Molly, is shareholder value has now been rejected as the, the driving force of the way companies should operate. In fact, that academic I talked about earlier has actually come out and said, I was wrong. <laughs> the, the notion of shareholder value was actually a big mistake. And what it's been replaced with is... Uh, stakeholder principles. That is, companies all have stakeholders. And the companies have to operate with the best interest of all its stakeholders in mind. So let's take, uh, play with that a minute, Airbnb. Mm -hmm. Airbnb has five stakeholders. It's investors, obviously, as I think it would be true of any company. But Airbnb recognizes that its employees are stakeholders, its guests, its hosts, and also the communities where it operates. So what Airbnb is doing is it's actually recognizing that it has a broader obligation to do good in the world. And I think a lot of companies now are starting to take that on and understand it. And I think once you, once you think about it, it's like, well, why not? Why shouldn't a company also be thinking about what's good for the broader communities where it operates? And, and I think that part of this revolution, I think, is an understanding that we need companies to think and act differently. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad that companies are embracing this new concept of stakeholder principles. Yeah, absolutely. And it really, I, I really love the way you articulated that just about in in so many years prior to the last few, it's just it's always been about that bottom line. And for a lot of companies, it still is. But I mean, that's the whole reason I started this podcast four years ago was I, I wanted to begin to tell the stories of the businesses that are doing things differently, and that are putting people over profit and not that profit suffers. Um, and that's the other thing is, um, and I have this conversation a lot too, is a, is we can tend to, as a culture, kind of making a hasty generalization here, but we can tend to demonize making a profit and that, oh, well, you know, uh, you know, Jeff Bezos makes so much, so many billion dollars and blah, 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 blah. And like, I, you know, I have my own thing with Amazon anyway, but making a profit is not the issue. It's right. what you do with the profit. And I think that, you know, you need a purpose as a company. Yes. Profit yes. is not purpose. I yes. think you need a North Star to kind of guide yes. your actions. And I think you have to be solving a problem in the world or doing mm-hmm. something good for the world. Now, I actually think profit is critical. Oh, yeah. Profit is what funds your ability yeah. to accomplish your purpose. Yeah. If, you, if you're not making a profit, you're not doing much else. <laughs> there's not going to be any employees. There's not going to be any good for the world. So yeah. I, I don't demonize it at all. I actually yeah. celebrate it. Yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, it actually can enable so much good. Yes. Um, what I demonize is the focus on profit to the exclusion of everything else. Mm-hmm. I, I think what companies need to do is think about it holistically uh, across all their stakeholders. And and the great thing about this, Molly, is you know the the old way of thinking is, oh yeah, doing good, Rob. That's really nice. When the business is doing well, maybe you know we'll uh, sponsor a little league team or a scholarship, right? What we're now realizing is that. 
when a company is perceived to be operating ethically with its business model, with the way that it treats people, it actually outperforms the market and outperforms competitors. It's not a trade-off. In reality, companies that operate this way, actually, it's wind in their back. Yep. It helps them operate and be more successful as a business. There's a guy by the name of Adam Grant, wrote a wonderful book called Give and Take. Mm. And it's about how there are givers in the world and takers in the world. Surprisingly, people who are givers, that is people who are empathetic, think about others, do for others, maybe donate to charitable causes and help other people. They actually are more financially successful yep. than takers yep. who are constantly just trying to get everything for themselves and hold on to it and act very selfishly. I think it's the same thing with companies. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. And um, it's interesting. My So my husband is a financial advisor. And I have been in my own kind of personal journey. I've shared this very openly on my blog over the last 13 years, 14 years. But, you know, my husband, he's a financial advisor and, you know, he is just one of those guys who grew up in a home where he was financially savvy his whole life, like has never been in debt at the age of 24, bought his first house, put 20 percent down like he he just he's, he's that guy. And I was a year out of college and $36,000 in consumer credit card debt and, you know, just all those kinds of things and didn't learn about, you know, really being finan- a good steward of my finances until later in life and um, did end up, end up becoming debt free. But I talk about this very thing all the time and my husband does too. And it, he said it's really interesting in a lot of the clients that he meets with because he'll meet with people who make, you know, is some of the most money of any of his clients. And so many of them are in a lot of financial trouble. And but then he'll he'll meet with clients who are kind of just teetering on the line of, you know, making ends meet. And they're some of the most generous people. But then kind of on the flip side, he has some people who make a lot of money and give like most of it away. So it's just it's a really interesting sort of mentality. But the people who are most financially generous tend to be the happiest. They tend to be the most kind of stable in their relationships. It just it trickles out. And you're right. You see that in businesses as well as the businesses that are that are generous, that are taking care of their employees like those tend to stick around the longest. Companies are, are, are waking up to this. Yeah. And they're, and they're understanding and they have to. And why do they have to? Well, they're being pushed on all sides. Absolutely. One, uh, their own employees are pushing. Them, right. I think employees want to feel like they are part of something bigger and better. Yep. That's bring a positive force in the world. And if they see a company that's not operating with values that are consistent with their own values. In the old days, they wouldn't say anything. Now, they're blogging about it. They're tweeting about it. They're walking out. And so employees are holding their own company's feet to the fire. And not only that, customers are jumping in. You know, there's data that shows that we are now in an age of conscious consumerism. Consumers actually care about where their money is going when they spend it. And if a company they're doing business with isn't operating in a way that they believe is ethical, they're taking their money and moving it elsewhere. Yep. Right. And of course, the government's jumping in too, because the government sees that if if the the consumers are are feeling this way, then they can score points by jumping in. 
So the world is pushing hard now on companies. You can't afford to operate. We used to call it as a 20th century company. You can't operate as a 20th century company in the 21st century. Yep. Oh, that's a great point. Now, in the book, you talk about something called the leveraging the six C's to foster and kind of manage a culture of integrity at work. Or, you know, so I would love for you to just kind of briefly break that down. Like, what does that look like? And especially for people listening who are kind of on both sides, whether they are an employee at a company or we have a lot of obviously a lot of business owners here. So what do those six C's look like and how does that foster and manage a culture of integrity? Well, I mean, you know, the people that, that read the book, I often get these messages of, Rob, I actually liked it. I think they were expecting Plato and Socrates <laughs> and a dull philosophical treatise. And what, they're, what they get is a very practical and actually kind of lighthearted and entertaining way of this is actually how you could do this, laying it out. And six C's are just a, a, a simple way to think about it. The first C is CEO. You have to sit down with the leader of a company. The leader of a company has to want to do this. You can talk about integrity all you want. But if your CEO is getting drunk at the holiday party, hitting <laughs> on uh, people sexually, mm -hmm. um, all they care about is the, the money. If they're yep. always talking about, just give me the bottom line, hit this number no matter what, you're not going to get anywhere. Mm -hmm. it, it, that, that, that's going to be impossible. But if a CEO is bought into this bigger picture of operating with integrity and treating people with respect in the office, all things are possible. And so... Uh, you know, it was funny. I tell the story in the book of running into the founder of Costco one night uh, you know, in, a, in a hotel lounge watching a basketball game. And when I told him about the book and what I was doing, he looked at me and said, you don't need a book. He said, all that matters is the leader. And at one level, I agree with him that it all starts there. And if the integrity isn't there, then it ends there. Mm -hmm. But if you've got that, then the other five C's can kick in, yeah. right? And the other five C's deal with things like getting a code of conduct. Now, I know a lot of people are like, well, Rob, we've got a code of conduct. The problem with most codes of conduct is that companies get it from their law firm. Mm -hmm. Their law firm sends them over a form, right? Or even worse, companies go online and steal somebody else's <laughs> code of conduct. They copy and paste it and they put their own company's name at the top, right? And then is they take this, this form and then they email it out to everybody and say, check a box and say that you've read it and are going to follow. And then, well, thank goodness, we've finally taken care of the integrity. It's ridiculous. And, and everybody knows it's uh, uh, just a, an exercise in compliance. What you need is a real code of ethics. It's actually written by employees with employee input yeah. in the language of the company with values that reflect what the company is about. I'll give you a very small example. Um, one of the things you should address in a code of conduct is whether your employees should be taking gifts from third parties, from vendors, right? Mm. It's common in a lot of industries for vendors to, to wine and dine you, take you to a fancy dinner, take you to a ball game. You know, during the holidays, maybe there's a, a big giant fruit basket. What goes over the line? What rules should you have? Let's look at Walmart. Walmart has a rule. Its employees can accept nothing. And I mean zero. I've been in a meeting with people from Walmart. If you offer them a bottle of water, they pull a dollar out of their pocket. Wow. They, they do that because Walmart's mission is low prices every day for their customers. And they believe that if their employees are accepting gifts, that's ultimately going to be reflected in the cost of goods and raise the prices for their customers. So 
That's why they have that rule. Hmm. Let's take a company like Airbnb. Airbnb is about belonging, creating a connections, authentic human connections between two people who may be from different backgrounds and different parts of the world. Well, hospitality is a critical part of that. Buying somebody a cup of coffee, buying somebody a drink, having a meal with someone is a shared experience that fosters belonging. So Airbnb and their code of ethics doesn't get as strict as Walmart. They simply put some limits in place to make sure that people aren't being unduly influenced by mm-hmm. them. Um, but those are the sorts of things you need to think about as a company and give your employees guidance about in your code. Yeah. You know, I think about, um, and I don't know, I will be honest, I don't know if you if you talk about this company in the book at all, but uh, I think of Zappos. And yeah. Zappos is a great kind of example of of a culture there where the employees really do kind of foster uh, feedback into that code of conduct and all that kind of thing. And I remember back in like 2009, I was out in Vegas for a conference and ended up going on a tour of the Zappos headquarters and which you can do. I mean, anybody can do that. You can reach out and you can do like a, they, they take you through and you get to see everything and they show you where, you know, the Zappos CEO sits and they take you into this room with this big throne and put a crown on you and all this kind of stuff. And they, but one of the things that they, they allow you to do is you can just talk. I mean, you can talk to employees and you can find out what they like about working at Zappos, but then they give you a book. And I forget exactly what the book is called, but every year Zappos releases a book that is a compilation of letters, articles, um, reviews from employees about what it is actually like to work at Zappos. And it can be positive. It can be negative. It can be literally like there's no retribution if it's negative. Yeah. It is just genuinely like their feedback. And then they they bind it in a book every year and they give it to you when you are there. And I just thought that was the most interesting way. It was especially back in 09. Like this was a completely foreign concept to me. But that's exactly what that made me think about is that that kind of giving the employees a sense of um, ownership in the way that the company is run. What, what I like about it is the transparency you yes. know, and the, the fact that you're creating an environment where it's okay to speak up. Mm-hmm. It's okay to even say something critical. You know, I, uh, we used to call it speaking truth to power. Everyday employees, are they encouraged and comfortable to raise their hand if they see something wrong and say, this doesn't look right to us. I'm not sure this is ethical. Or I'm not sure this is legal. I'm not sure this is the right thing to do. Now, I think the most dangerous ethical uh, environments are ones where people are afraid to, to raise their hand because they're afraid they, they might be uh, retaliated against or mm-hmm. punished and stand out. Uh, I love environments where uh, people are comfortable speaking up. I, I think that's where you're less likely to have big problems. I'm going to take a quick break from my conversation with Rob to thank a couple partners of our show. Now, I don't know about you, but I have a couple people on my list that every holiday season, they are just the people on my list that I I don't know what to get them. They have everything. And so I'm looking for a really special or unique gift 
to get them. And one of our partners of the show, Simple Switch, is my new go-to place for those unique gift items. And I actually have the founder, Rachel Coyce, who is no stranger to the show. You've heard from her. She's been a guest on this show. She's here with me to kind of share some of the really unique gifts that Simple Switch has for you this holiday season. Take it away, Rachel. Hey, Molly. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I also love that about Simple Switch. Being the owner, it also helps me get um, the gifts from people on my list. But we have a couple favorites this year. One is that we just got um, a new wine company and a new chocolate company. So for those people who have everything, you can never have too many treats. And I think that is a really great way to treat people this year. Another one is we have some um, engravable items. And so maybe they have everything, but they might not have something with their name engraved into a beautiful wooden, whether that be cufflinks, journal, flask. So yeah, there's a lot of fun options. We've grown a ton this year. So if you came and shopped with us last year, this year is going to be even better. I mean, what person in your life would not want to be gifted some chocolate or wine or something that is really personal and very meaningful? These are just incredible gifts. And there are over 3,000 products that you can get at simpleswitch.org. So simply go to simpleswitch.org and use the coupon code Purchase with purpose for 20% off your order. So you're not only doing good in the world, but you're also saving money. So go to simpleswitch.org, use that coupon code purchase with purpose for 20% off. Now, who doesn't love snail mail? And I'm not talking junk mail or Amazon Prime packages. I'm talking about a really thoughtful package sent in the mail from somebody you love or care about. You can make this Christmas season special and send a gift through Amaz Uma. At checkout, you can add a personalized message and the Amaz Uma team will hand write into any card you choose. Don't let 2020 end on a bad note. Let's send cheer to those we love. Head on over to shopwithmolly.com and you can use the code MOLLYHOLIDAYS for 20% off from now through Christmas. Now back to my conversation with Rob. Okay, so after CEO, after code of conduct, what are the last four C's? Okay, so uh, the next thing you need to do is you need to communicate your code. And just by way of example, um, the email and the check the box doesn't work. Uh, What we did at Airbnb was we actually had conversations. I would myself go to every week's new hire orientation and spend an hour with all the new employees and talk about this myself. Now, some people say, Rob, you're the general counsel. How do you have time to do this? And I said, look, I'm going to spend time on ethical issues no matter what. Mm -hmm. I'd rather spend my time proactively preventing problems and establishing a culture that's going to make sure that we don't have big fails instead of sitting on my hands and waiting for the big fail to come and then working my team to exhaustion to try to recover from. It's time well spent. I, I learned this actually from Meg Whitman, who used to go do all the new R orientations herself while she was CEO of of eBay. And then I went out and did a world tour to every office in Airbnb and had the same conversation. So we were all on the same page. And you know what, if it had been a a mid-level HR person, it wouldn't have worked. Mm -hmm. If I had recorded it, it wouldn't have worked. What was powerful about it was the fact that it was important enough to me that I spend my time as a leader having that conversation with people. And over and over again, that was the feedback we got was, Wow, how powerful is this? If the general counsel is standing there in front of me telling me this, I believe it. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. And so after we communicate, 
you know, what we need is we need a way to make sure that there are consequences. So because the rules are going to get violated. And is there a way to report that people are comfortable with? And are there consequences that people trust? If the, the top people, the most valued employees can simply violate the rules and get away with it. If the rules are only for people that the company wants to get, array, you know, get rid of anyway, uh, they will have no credibility and you will not have an atmosphere of integrity. So what you've got to do is you've got to establish a clear reporting structure, and then you have to establish fair consequences when the rules are violated. Uh, you know, the last one is about a constant drumbeat. That is, you can't just have one conversation about this at orientation and then say, well, everybody's got the code. I've had the talk. It's all going to be good. Uh, when I talked to Adam Silver at the NBA about this, I, I have a lot of respect for him. I think he's a, a strong leader. He talked about this sort of thing as well with teams and players, and he likened it to television advertising. In other words, you can't just run one TV ad and say, well, okay, they saw yep. the ad. You got to run it 10 times yep. or 100 times. And maybe you've got to run 10 different ads because different people are going to be, uh, it's going to respond to different ads mm-hmm. in different ways. It's a constant effort. Now, uh, that doesn't mean you have to have, a, uh, have to do it every single day. But uh, I was always ensuring every month that something was coming out where we talked about it at Airbnb. Because, you know, we got to create this environment. I say that leaders in a company are the thermostat for integrity, not the thermometer. A thermometer takes the temperature in the room. A thermostat actually sets it. And as a leader, by your words and your actions, you are setting the environment where everyone in the company is living and is going to be impacted. So by communicating about it regularly, you you are creating that environment that integrity matters. It's a good. And you want people to operate that way. And that's that's crucial to operating, I think, a company that, that wants to operate in the 21st century. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I really, um, I, I love that approach because you're right. It, there's, it, when you're trying to communicate a message, especially across a, lot, a large company, because when you have thousands of employees, you know, people receive information different ways. And it's so funny. I, <laughs> so this is sort of unrelated, but just kind of reminds me about the way that you have to continually remind people and be in their face about things. And sometimes you might feel like, oh, like I'm, I'm over here beating a dead horse. But, uh, but then you realize that, oh, people just sometimes just don't pay attention. Like I can't help but laugh a few years ago. So I've had this podcast for four years now, and this was maybe about a year ago or so. And I had, you know, posted something about my podcast on Facebook. And I literally had somebody who's a friend in my life, like somebody I know, not like a best friend, but like a friend uh, who was like, you have a podcast? And I was like, oh, my, oh my gosh. Oh, my oh, gosh. I get that, too. It's like, you got a book? It's, <laughs> I feel like it was a flow on that television ad about, about progressive insurance. I've only told you about a thousand times. Right? Like, but sometimes you got to keep doing it. I was like. I've had this podcast for like three years. I've like produced over a hundred episodes. I was like, I share about it every week. I mean, it's so you have a podcast. I just, it made me laugh so hard, but it was, it was actually a reminder of like, you know, people are, we, we tend to be 
as just as people, we are just naturally self-focused. We're naturally thinking about ourselves. And so we might not even realize that people aren't paying attention to something or they don't see something or they don't hear something. And so just approaching it from different angles and and marketing it in different ways is just so, so, so key. And I I love the way that you kind of just really, you outlined that as a a company value. Well, well, self-focus is actually a great point and it's something that I learned during the book writing process. You know, the uh, when I was uh, I went out and spoke to Dan Ariely at Duke University to learn some of the science behind this stuff. And you know, to my surprise, we were accidentally doing some things at Airbnb that actually had some science behind them, and I didn't even realize it. One of the things he taught me is, you know, I had always kind of thought that you know most people are good, and then there are a few bad apples, mm-hmm. and we'll we'll try to weed them out during the interview process, or they'll screw up and we'll get rid of them. Yeah. What he taught me is that it's not that simple. We are all constantly engaged inside with our own struggle with integrity. And we all think we have integrity. I go, I do talks all the time. How many people in the room have integrity? Everybody raised their hand. I'm like, wow, incredible that everybody's got integrity, but yet we've got all these issues in the world. Mm-hmm. And the truth is that we all see the world through our own eyes. Yep. We are all generous with ourselves when it comes to integrity. And The reason is because we see the world through our own life experiences. And we naturally, as Dan calls it, fudging. We naturally tend to be biased towards something that will help us. Mm. And the only thing that will keep us straight is a contrary desire to be accepted by others and feel good about ourselves. So if long we can kind of talk ourselves into something being okay, uh, we'll do it. Great. He does an experiment to demonstrate this, uh, fills a room up with people, gives them a sheet of math problems. And he says, I want you to do these math problems until I say stop. I won't give you enough time, but just keep going until I say stop. So people are working on the math problems. Dan says, stop. Everybody puts their pencil down. Dan says, I want you to come up one by one. Take your piece of paper with the math problems you've been working on and stick it in the shredder in the front of the room. And then as you leave the room, tell the proctor how many problems you did and they'll give you a dollar for every problem you say that you did. Mm. Now, what Dan doesn't tell people is that he modified the shredder. It only shreds the outer edge of the piece of paper. So Dan knows exactly how many problems you did. The question is how many people will be honest with the proctor when they leave the room and they're getting paid? Uh, and the answer surprised me. 70% of people lie. Wow. And he does this over and over again. And the results are the same with tens of thousands of people regardless of gender, nationality, 70%. Now, most people don't lie by a lot. They don't double the number of problems, right? They fudge by a problem or two or three, maybe because they're a little competitive and they don't want the person behind them in line to think that they're not this smart. Or maybe they feel like, well, I was, you know, I was about to get to that problem. I would have gotten that one, but my pencil broke, right? As long as you can rationalize it, you'll fudge. That's what people do. And The way to address it is to create an environment where you remind people of their ethical obligations and the importance of doing right. So so to demonstrate this, Dan does the same experiment with a different group, but this time he does one thing different. At the beginning of the experiment, he says, I want everyone to write down as many of the Ten Commandments as they can remember, and then do your math problems. So what does Dan learn? Well, first of all, he learns that nobody can remember all the Ten Commandments. Most can't even remember half. But secondly, Something strange happens to the results after people have been writing or have written down the Ten Commandments first. Cheating virtually disappears. So when you remind people of this ethical order 
this higher sort of sense of, of rules and obligation. People hew back to the truth. Hmm. And that gets back to the point of that you need to create an environment of integrity at a company where you're having that constant conversation. Because if you don't, people are naturally just going to start fudging a little bit. And the data shows that once they start fudging and they get away with it, their brainwaves actually become conditioned to this fudging. And they go can have the potential then to fudge more, fudge a little more, fudge a little more. And pretty soon, a couple of years have gone by and you're fudging and you've gone way past anything you ever would have dreamed. Yep. So yep. as Dan taught me, if you want to create an environment of integrity, focus on the little things. Oh, man. Man, I love that. I I also love research like that. I'm just absolutely fascinated by it. And, um, you know, it's interesting. And, and that really does remind me um, or just kind of make me think about um, now I come from a Christian worldview. And so, uh, you know, I think about just like this idea of sin. And, you know, if you're coming from a Christian world, you're not, but it's, it's sin is the exact same way. It's like you start out with just like one tiny little thing and then it just balloons into this, you know, massive thing. And I remember it was like a year or two ago, there was a guy who was actually a guest preacher at our church and he was doing a sermon on this and he used this example. And this is a true story. But it was like the perfect illustration for integrity, for kind of how we start out. We justify something just a little bit and then it just balloons. And it was a guy in an apartment in Brooklyn. And I don't remember when this was, but this is a true story. A guy in an apartment in Brooklyn, he somehow, I don't know how, but got a hold of a Bengal tiger cub, like like a little Bengal tiger kitten brought it home to his apartment because he thought it was so cute, this tiny little Bengal tiger kitten. Well, guess what? Guess what happened? The Bengal tiger got bigger and it eventually got real big to the point that you have this massive 500 pound Bengal tiger in your apartment in Brooklyn. And so what did the cops do when they show up? They show up to this apartment and they see a giant Bengal tiger that is really hard to get out of an apartment in Brooklyn. And he's talking about how like, you know, at the time when he brought it home, it was like a cute little kitten. And he just like thought he was, you know, maybe breaking a little bit of a rule. Well, guess what? Like that eventually that kitten turns into a, it, right? yeah, it's a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And you, you don't notice along the way. I mean, I look at my kids and I my kids are four and seven and I look at them now and I go like, how did you get this big? Like you were just a tiny little baby and I was like changing your diapers and now you're you know doing math problems and all this kind of stuff and it's just it's just over time and I I just love I love that um that idea of like when or, or kind of understanding this idea that when somebody you fudge a little bit you do a little bit and then it just it balloons and um but by continuing to drive home that code of conduct message by continuing to remind people of sort of these rules that we have set and and these expectations that we have set they're not they're not as likely to continue to fudge a little bit more well that, that's why you don't go to church just once right that's why you go once a week yeah right yeah the, the constancy i think is really good yeah the, uh, um what's interesting is that people that are creative or highly intelligent are actually more vulnerable to integrity problems. Mm. Now, why? Well, because a lot of this has to do with how good are you at being able to rationalize to yourself Mm. that what you're doing is really okay. People who are really creative or really smart, 
are actually really good at that rationalization process. They can come up with good creative ways to make themselves feel good that what they're about to do is all right, which means you end up with more spectacular fails, uh, particularly (laughs) among leaders. Man, man, that's so good. Oh, man, we could have like a whole nother conversation just about that because, man, have we seen that in the last few years? Look, it's a lot about rationalization. Ariely does another example where he takes Coke machines. So you remember the Coke Coke machine, you put some money in the Coke machine, you hit the button, the Coke comes out. Well, Dan gets a bunch of them and he gets a nice big sign, puts right on the front of the Coke machine that says, if this machine is malfunctioning, please call this phone number, okay? All right, now he takes these machines and he doctors them so that when you put your money in, the money comes right back out and you get the Coke for Hmm. free, right? Hmm. So he puts the machines out. Guess how many people call the phone number and report that the machine is malfunctioning? None. Zero. Yeah. Why one? Well, because everybody's been ripped off by a Coke machine at some point in their life. And everybody is able to easily rationalize the fact that, oh, this is my cosmic karma. Now I'm going to get the <laughs> Cokes back that I lost. Not only does nobody call, the average person takes three or four. Wow. And it, but again, easy to rationalize. Yep. That's what happens. Fascinating. Oh, that's fascinating. Um, Well, Rob, this has been fantastic. For people that want to uh, learn more, you can go to intentionalintegrity.com. You can get his book on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, you know, Books a Million, basically anywhere you can get a book or uh, go to IndieBound. IndieBound is actually one of my new favorite ways to get books is I discovered a local bookstore during the pandemic. And I love getting my books from there now. And like, literally the owner of the bookstore, when I pre-order my book, I, I do it through his bookstore now. And he calls me up and he's like, Hey, Molly, I got your book, you know, come on by. And he I pull up and he brings it out to my car. It's my new favorite way. I realize that it's easier and quicker to get it through Amazon, but I really like supporting my local bookstore. I love it. That's awesome. Thanks for the support. Absolutely. So Rob, before we go, uh, this is my favorite part of the show where I get to just ask some just fun, lighthearted, get to know you questions. And not that we haven't been getting to know you this whole time, but you know. This has all been fun, Molly. I know. It's all fun. I can't imagine. (laughs) All right. So so are you ready for the get to know you round? I'm ready. Let's do it. All right. So question number one is, what song do you have to sing along with when you hear it? Song that I have to sing along with when I hear it. Like it comes on the radio and you're like, oh, I got to sing this song. Oh, boy. I would say... uh, how about anything from The Who? Oh, all right. What? Okay. We don't Love get Roger fooled again. That's my era. Okay. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, <laughs> but although every time I hear that song, all I think about is uh, uh, Horatio Kane or Horatio Kane and CSI Miami when he like rips the sunglasses oh. off. <laughs> anyway, okay. <laughs> Um, is there a particular, I mean, I know that you've obviously you've been a lawyer for many, many years and you've worked kind of in the legal field. Is there a particular person kind of that maybe came before you that has influenced you a lot and like maybe influenced you to become a lawyer, um, or even could be maybe in, in business, somebody that has really had an impact on you in that way? Uh, how about my mom? Oh, I, mean, I love that. I, obviously she came before me. <laughs> she's a huge, a, a huge influence on me. I, I tell a story in the book of how we were in the parking lot of a grocery store uh, leaving one day. And she looked at the, the money in her hand and said, we've got to go back inside. And we marched back inside. And I, to this day, I remember 
the expression on the clerk's face. My mom went back in because they gave her too much change. And we went back in and how incredibly grateful and surprised the clerk was. And my mom told me afterwards about how, of course, that's exactly what you do because the money doesn't belong to us. And I think more than anybody in my life, I think my mom had the influence to teach me to try to do the right thing. I mean, look, we're, none of us are perfect and I'm far from it. Uh, but I think it's the belief that it is important to try. And then when you fall off and make a mistake, uh, have the self-awareness to see it and get back on. Yeah, that is my mother-in-law. That is my mother-in-law. My mother-in-law, uh, my husband tells this story of like one time they'd gotten all the way home and she realized that they had given her too much change and it was like 86 cents. And so she drove all the way back to the grocery store to give it back. And the, yeah, the clerk what? was like, what? <laughs> you're, you're passing something on besides 86 cents. Yep. No, you're really, you are now, look, integrity is contagious. Mm-hmm. It really is. And by doing that, you not only are giving back something that doesn't belong to you, but you're spreading the, a message and inspiring somebody else to do something just like that. And that's yeah. how we all get better. Yeah. Just like for the people, everybody, I, I bet you there are people that are listening that know exactly what I'm about to say. It's just like the people who don't put their shopping carts back. I'm just saying is my biggest pet peeve is people who don't put their shopping carts back. <laughs> Fry them, Holly. Fry them. Go get like, them. Come on, people. Come but on, like people. the one that annoys me the most is like when you see the person who puts the shopping cart back on the median next to the cart corral. And I'm like, it's like five feet right there. Just put it back. Of course, the only open parking spot, and they put it right in the middle of it, right? Every what are these time. people thinking, Molly? What are they thinking? Kills me. We got we to change this. We got to change We got to we gotta inspire better. Thank so, you. Yes. Amen. <laughs> okay. Um, if your life was a movie, what song or songs would be on the soundtrack? Now, you said The Who, but I don't know if there's like a particular song that would be on the soundtrack of the life of your movie, the Uh, the movie of your life. Well, oh, yeah. Well, you're asking me that. I'm I'm ready for all the the good integrity questions. (laughs) I I was a disc jockey in college for four years. Oh, really? Like a zillion songs, you know, all had 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 a big influence on me. And I love I love music so much, but it's all a blur. Yeah, Uh, I, I think. The yeah, this the soundtrack would be a variety of such a variety yeah. of, of things because like well, I do I've done a lot of different things in my career and I love a change of pace I mm-hmm. love something I love doing something for a little bit and then going someplace completely different because I think the variety is so important yeah so uh, I, I think for me I couldn't pick one but what I could pick is uh, we could go for fifty songs. And that variety might begin to sort of capture the rich variety of life and, and how I want to approach it. How about I, that? I love that. No, that's great. Um, it makes me think of uh, the probably, arguably, the greatest movie soundtrack of all time. And that is the Forrest Gump soundtrack. And I remember oh, yeah. that soundtrack is just amazing. And I was, I mean, I was 10. Yeah, 10, 10 when the Forrest Gump, when Forrest Gump came out. And... I had the four disc CD 
set. You know, it was like where you like open up like multiple sides to get to all the oh, yeah. sure. the discs. Oh, yeah. And I played that thing out. And and my parents loved it, too, because my parents were, you know, they were both born in the 40s. And so like every song on the Forrest Gump soundtrack was like, this is the soundtrack of my childhood and my you know young adult years. And so that's what I always think about is like. It's like the, the the just the best soundtrack you've ever heard with all the greatest songs. <laughs> um, did you have a disc jockey name? Like, did you were you like DJ something? It was one of those commercial FM rock stations. Oh yeah, was, you have your own name, right? Yeah. So you know, I started off in midnight at the graveyard shifts. Uh, <laughs> I would uh, I worked two nights a week in the beginning from two a.m. to six a.m. Uh, and then fortunately was able to move up uh, and get a better time slot. But it was, boy, it was a lot of fun. That's awesome. To school and earn some money. That's awesome. Um, what was your favorite TV show to watch growing up? Favorite TV show? Oh, my. Uh, you know what? I There were a bunch. I, I'm sure that I, I loved a show like Hogan's Heroes. I remember that one. I remember Gilligan's Island. Yes. Right? I, I, I remember... Well, I always loved sports. Yeah. But sports wasn't all, you know, sports was a treat back then, right? Mm -hmm. It was on, you know, on Saturday or Sunday, you get to watch some sports, yep. nothing during the week because there was no ESPN back then. So uh, I would say watching sports, uh, watching college basketball yes. uh, with my family uh, and rooting for the University of Virginia. You know, I grew up in Virginia, would probably be the favorite, the best thing to watch. I love it. I love it. That's fantastic. All right. And then this is my last question that I ask all my guests. And I have a feeling I know the answer to it, but I want to hear your your answer. And that is, what does it mean to you to run a business with purpose? Well, I mean, I think it means uh, having something bigger than profit. Mm -hmm. um, it, it means that you, you go to work every day to change the world in a positive way. And you're, you're intentional about it. I think that's what it means. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Rob, this has been such a pleasure, such a joy to have you on the show. I have learned so much. Um, I can't wait to dive deeper into the book. And uh, for everybody listening, go get your copy of Intentional Integrity. And Rob, thank you so much. This was such a fun time. I had a great time, Molly. Thanks for having me. I would love to know what you loved about this episode or if there was something that you learned. If you do, let me know on social media. You can find me at Still Being Molly or at Business with Purpose Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. And don't forget to use that hashtag Business with Purpose Podcast. Another thank you to our partners of the show. The first is Simple Switch. You can use that code Purchase with Purpose for 20% off your first order. The Lemonade Boutique, use code Purpose15 for 15% off. Molly Holidays is the code for 20% off from Amas Uma from now through Christmas. And at GoX Apparel, go to goexapparel.com slash Molly Stillman and use the code podcast 20. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you are a first time listener, welcome. Be sure to visit the archives for past shows featuring incredible entrepreneurs and business owners who are quite literally changing the world with their businesses. And if you're a regular listener of the show, Thank you for tuning in week in and week out. And thank you for your support. Be sure to head on over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Radio Public, or wherever you get your podcasts and click that subscribe or follow button. Clicking that button helps to make sure that you never miss a new episode of the show. And while you're there, would you leave a review to help me know what you're liking and how the show is personally impacting you? This show is produced by the incredible team at Third Wheel Media. Thank you so much for listening. Now go do something good with purpose on purpose. Go do something good with purpose on purpose.
do something with unpurpose and unpurpose so you can listen to this podcast. Bye.